And this week, we're going to speak about or talk about or teach about guarding your heart. Um, and this is, our key scripture is from Proverbs chapter 4. We'll be reading from verse 20 to 27. Uh, so that's Proverbs chapter 4, 20 to 27. All right, so I'm going to ask you to find that in your Bibles. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing for me when you have found that. We stand for the reading of God's word, right? So I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of the word. And then when you sit down after that, you sit down until the end of the service. And I will stand until the end of the service. Do we have a deal? Thank you so much, all right? So Proverbs chapter 4 from 20 to 27. Now, if you have your Bibles, just lift them up. Like this. If you have it on your phone, that's all right. Or on a tablet. If you have it in your head, just lift your head up high. Amen. Hallelujah. Declare with me that this is God's word. Not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened. And I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, remain standing and I'll read for you. Verse 20 says, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't be sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the instructions in your word. They are so direct and they speak to us individually. We thank you for this word that says we ought to guard our hearts with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. This morning we have come with ears attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Hearts that are receptive to the move of God. We pray that we will be more than mere hearers of your word but doers also. Change us from the inside out Lord God. Fill us with your spirit even more, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. The, the big idea for this sermon is very, very simple. It is godliness is maintained by persistent attention and protection of our attitude towards familiar truth. Godliness is maintained by persistent attention and protection of our attitude towards truth. You want to maintain a godly life, there are two things you need to do. 
persistently pay attention to the truth and protect your attitude towards the truth. And if you do these two things, it is highly likely that you will live a godly life. Because there are, there are indications that you're guarding your heart. Now, despite the advances in, in medical science, heart disease has historically been the number one killer in the world. In fact, every hour, this little muscle, the size of the fist, pumps 250 pounds of blood. In one day, the heart beats 103,000 times. All right? I guarantee you that some of us cannot count to 1,000 103,000. I dare one of you to stand one day and count from 1 to 103,000. That's how fascinating this heart is. The heart travels daily through the bloodstream 168 thousand miles. Alright, I don't I'm not good at math and conversion, so I don't know how to get that in kilometers. Maybe one of your brightest can tell me. Alright, you're taking too long to answer, right? And you, you you don't get out of phones, right? But the heart is the central focus of our physical life. I know this because you know you can do without a hand, you can do without a leg, you can do without an eye. You, you really don't need two eyes. You really don't need two eyes. You just want two eyes. You really don't need two hands. Right? One hand is good enough, right? If your strong arm is working, you kind of find somebody you really can't even use your left hand really well, so you don't really need it. It's a one, right? I mean, if you do sport and you're, you, have, you use your right leg, you really like your handicap on your left side, so you don't even need your left leg. But I tell you one thing, you need your heart. I mean, that's how important the heart is. It's like you can't do without it. Listen, in fact, you could do without a brain because, you know, some people are just, they have no brain, right? But, 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 but you need a heart. Have you ever heard about a person being brain dead? All right? You really hear about a pe- person being heart dead. Because if your heart dead, there you go, you're getting it. I'm telling you, that's how important the heart is to our physical life. When the heart fails, we fail. When the heart hurts, we are in serious trouble. Like people, many times will have headache and they stay home. They will have tummy ache and they stay home. The moment you start feeling discomfort in your heart, you're going to the doctor. I, I guarantee you, you ain't treating that. You will take the risk of treating some sprain. But if your heart feels damaged, you know this is serious business. Right? And you head out to the doctor. It's that important. God is equally concerned about the central focus of our spiritual life. Because 
the heart is just as important to our physical life as it is to our spiritual life. So we often refer to that area by calling it the, the, the spiritual life. We call it our heart. And in the Bible, the word heart is interchangeable or interchanged with the word soul. So there are times when you'll see the word soul, it still speaks to the heart. And when you see heart, it speaks to the soul. Now the soul, the root word that soul comes from is, is a word that means to breathe. So they said when God breathed into man and gave him life, that was the soul of man because there was a physical being of man being made. So the heart is a part of man that gives life. It, it is that part that propels him and supplies him with his get up and go. Sometimes the heart refers to our emotion, what we feel. So when we say to someone, you just don't understand how I am feeling. We are not talking about physical feeling per se. We are talking about emotional feelings which refers to our heart. Sometimes the heart refers to our will. The ability to choose. You make choices based on the state of your heart. If you have a bad heart, you're going to make bad choices. If you have a good heart, you're going to make good choices. If you have an evil heart, you're going to make evil choices. Sometimes the heart refers to the conscience. The ability to know right from wrong. Right? It is the heart that does that. Sometimes the heart refers to our awareness. That ability that tunes us into reality. And sometimes the heart refers to our mind. Our ability to think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I mean, you guys know Bible. Seems like you've been going to church for a long time. You know the scriptures. Alright? So when we speak of the heart, we oftentimes are referring to our emotions, our will, our morality, our consciousness of thinking. In other words, the person that is looking at me through your eyes, that's your heart. How you see me has more to do with your heart than your eyes. How you speak to me has more to do with your heart more than your mouth. Are you getting this? Right? So if I see you as um, you are nobody, that's not just my eyes telling me that. It is my heart that determines what my eyes see. Because if in my heart, in my mind, I have certain negative thinking, then all I can see is negative stuff. That is why two persons can look at the same person and walk away with two different impressions. Not because they are seen wrong, but because their hearts are in two different places. Their eyes are focused on the same target, but their hearts are in two different places. Your heart determines what you see. Your heart determines where you go. Your heart determines what you say. Amen? So before you change your glasses, fix your heart. So the heart is your inner person, your thoughts, your desire, all that goes into making you, you. Tell the person beside you, you are your heart. What you see from the person on the outside 
is exactly how they are on the inside. So people will say to you, that's how I act. It's not who I am. Like it's like a dog saying to you, you, you hear me barking? I'm not a dog. I know I look like a dog. I bark like a dog. But trust me, I am a cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On the inside, that dog is saying to you, on the inside, I'm a, I'm a cow. I just look like a dog. It don't work. You'd say, you're a crazy doggy. You are a dog. It's the same way. Listen, it's undeniable that what you are on the outside is who you are on the inside. Because it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of the man. See, tell you you know the Bible. So to study the heart is to go to its deepest level. Deepest level of where we live. So God has many things to say about our heart. And in this te- text, God says, guard your heart. Come on, tell your neighbor that. Guard your heart. And all of us in here this morning know Christians who, are, who at one time were active in church. But now they have fallen away. They are not living the way they used to live before. Maybe that applies to you. All right? Maybe that applies to you, but you know that, man, they're not where they used to be. We call them backsliders, we call them prodigals, we call them all kinds of names. But you know where that begins? That begins in the heart. The scripture says the backslider in heart. Before you start doing backsliding acts, your heart has already backslidden. That don't make any sense, pastor. Let me tell you how it works. You know when the prodigal son came back? home, he was sitting down before he started his journey, the scripture said he, when he came to his senses the heart he said I would be better off and he got up in other words he had to come back to his real self before he did that the scripture says the backslider in heart, when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and somebody asks you Where does Jesus live now? Where do you tell him? He lives inside my heart by the Holy Spirit. So if to receive Jesus Christ, to be in a relationship with him, it means that he comes and lives inside of my heart by the Holy Spirit, and I have backslidden. It means that in my heart I've grown distance from God. Amen? Makes sense, right? Therefore, before I do an act, of backsliding, of already backsliding. Because it is because I've strayed in my heart from God why I start doing the acts. Because whatever I do starts in my heart. Jesus says it this way. Uh, uh, Moses' law said to you that if you sleep with an next man's wife, you have committed adultery. But I say if you lost at a woman in your Heart, you have already committed adultery. Where does sin begin? In the heart. Where does righteousness begin? In the heart. Where does salvation begin? In the heart. Amen? So, maybe that describes your past and you have returned to active service. What happened to those who fell away? They know better. The answer in the text. 
All of these things will happen and people will drift away and fall away if they fail to guard their heart. For godliness is maintained by persistent attention and protection of our attitude towards the truth. That was the introduction. Let's get ready for the message now. Amen. <laughs> All right. So, in your notes, right? Let's get to your notes. The first point in your notes is, is really this. How do we maintain consistent Christian living? How do I live in this consistent relationship with God? It's two points, so it shouldn't be long. It's a two-pointer. If it were a three-pointer, it would be three hours. It's a two-pointer. It's two hours. So don't worry. We'll be out of here soon. Pay persistent attention to the truth. That's the first thing you have to do. You have to pay persistent attention to the truth. Now, I'm going to ask the, the, the team to put up the King, New King James Version of Proverbs chapter 4 from verse 20 to 22. Proverbs chapter 4, 20 to 22. I'm going to read it in the New Living, and then I'm going to get to that. Proverbs 4, 20 to 22. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Do not lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they... For, right, let them penetrate deep into your heart. All right, so let's look at the New King James translation. All right, I want you to, I want you to note the wording in the text, because sometimes... Texts are so simple, especially in Proverbs, that we miss what the, what the author, the writer, is communicating. It says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my saying. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Verse 22. For they are life to those who find them and health to, their, to all their flesh. If you read a text, you don't pay attention, you'll think like it is the father's job. It's not the father's job. The father is telling the son what his responsibility is. Right? You see that? He's saying, son, this is your responsibility. Pay attention. Son, this is your responsibility. He's saying all of this. So repeatedly, Solomon calls his son... To be mindful of the truth. He taught him. He wants his son to be thoughtful and attentive to the truth. Right? If you go to verse 1 of the same Proverbs chapter 4. Alright? Verse 1 says, my, my children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment. Alright? Proverbs there we go. Hear my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. Verse 10. Let's go. This is Proverbs 4, verse 10. Hear my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Alright, verse 20. We just read that. And then we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. All of these instructions are being given to the son. Proverbs 5 verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding. Alright? And verse 7 says, So now my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. And so success in any endeavor is the result of paying attention to the details and following through on them. The father is saying to the son, 
And God is saying to us that we need to pay attention to the details of God's word and follow through with them, which means to obey them. The reason some Christians fall by the wayside is because they stop being attentive to their heart. So how do I pay attention to the truth so that we maintain godliness? How, how do I do that? So do we believe that we should guard our hearts? Alright, so we all know that according to the scripture. The question is then, are you guarding your heart? So if you're guarding your heart, just put your right hand up. Have one, two, three. Alright, let me do it this way. This is always the easiest way. If you're not guarding your heart, put your hand up. Alright, there you go. So all of you are guarding your heart. <laughs> you just don't want to put your hand up. Alright, All right. so the question is, are we guarding our hearts? And how do we guard our hearts? Those are the two questions we need to answer. One thing I'll say is that most people guard your heart in one specific area. They guard your heart from toxic relationship. Like this is, this is, this is the place that they put their body security guard. This is where the security guard has a button, a firearm. He has a dog, a Rottweiler right there because no toxic relationship around here. But, but somehow everything else have access but toxic relationship, you cannot enter. Greed, you can enter. Envy, you can enter. Uh, jealousy, you can enter. Unforgiveness, here you have a clear pathway. But toxic relationship, you better stay clear. I, I think God wants us to, to guard our hearts from everything in every way. Right? But how? All right? How do we pay attention to the truth so that we maintain godliness? The first thing we do is that we must learn to listen to the truth. Come on, tell a neighbor, you need to listen to the truth. Alright. You have to listen to enough truth so it dispels all the lies. Don't try to dispel all the lies without listening to truth. So what a lot of us do is that we try to find everything contradictory to God's word to study. Instead of trying to find God's word and live it out so we can dispel the truth. In other words, don't go dispel the lies. Don't go and fight lies. Build your life up on the truth. So, you have to listen to the truth. Some parents teach their children not to listen. You, you know those parents, right? Anybody know any parent like that? They teach their kids not to listen. Here's, here's the number one way they do that. They say this, I am not telling you again. Didn't I say that you are supposed to? And then, then they say, if you don't, then I'm going to do this and I'm going to take away. And you, I'm going to, you're going to be grounded. And you will not go to prom. And all those crazy stuff, right? That child's that child knows that until a certain decibel of scream is reached, that parent doesn't mean it. Right? So here's what happened. But here, in the scriptures that we have just read, it's not instruction to parents to teach their children to listen. You're not going to believe this. Read the scriptures again. The scripture is not instructing parents to teach their kids to listen. The scripture is for children 
to take responsibility to listen to the instruction of the parents. If you don't read the scripture slowly, you're going to think that it is a parent's job to get the kids to listen. It is not. It is the child's job to listen to the instruction of the parents. In the same way that works, it is our job to listen to the instruction of God, our Father. In fact, we are halfway through the worship service. Have you heard anything from God yet? Has God spoken to you? I find this amazing, right? Like people will walk out of church. Well, let, let me not say that, right? I'm going, to be, I'm going to be real good, right? So the truth needs to be presented in an appealing manner. But all the effort to hear God's truth does not rest on the teacher or the preacher. It is for the sons to take responsibility for hearing and listening. The scripture is teaching us that we need to listen. We need to listen because God is always speaking. Eli said the same thing to Samuel. When you hear this voice, go back and say that. So when Samuel went back and he heard the voice, he says, Speak, Lord, for your servant, hear it. The scripture also says there's a voice that is behind you, and the voice says, this is the way, walk in it. The scripture says, my sheep shall hear my voice. And they know him. In other words, there is in scripture a responsibility on we the sons of God to listen God the Father. So we have a responsibility to listen to the truth as sons and daughters of God. We have to listen, right? A second way to be attentive to the truth is to remember the truth. Come on, tell your neighbor, so listen, don't just listen to the truth. You need to remember the truth. Well, you know, you know, I have a very, uh, verse 21, right? Verse 21 of our text says this. Do not lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep in your hearts. Alright, can you just put this up in the New King James for me? Verse 21, Proverbs 4, verse 21. Do not lose sight of them. Hallelujah. Proverbs 4, verse 21. Do not lose sight of them. In the New King James Version... There we go. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. So the scripture is saying, don't just listen at the top. You also need to remember. In fact, I have a very clever story to tell you that would illustrate this point. But guess what? I forgot it. Then You know what you would say to me? What good is that? can't be good at all. I mean, and that's my point. What's the use of learning the truth if it is not remembered? Just like a person walks out of church. How was church today? Man, it was great. What was the sermon about? Boy, oh, what again? Hmm. 
You know, I don't remember. Just give me a little time. Give me a little time. I don't remember. But you just said church. Yes, man, it was good. It was good. I mean, pastor preacher, sermon. So what did pastor preacher? You know, honestly, I don't remember, you know. I don't remember, but it was good. I mean, don't come on. It has happened to you as well. I mean, it has happened to you. What's the point of listening if we don't remember? You know why we give notes? We're not trying to be fancy. Because we know that we have poor memory. So we have you write it down. So when they ask you what was talked about at church, you take out the notes. Because I'm telling you, half the things that are said this morning go in one ear, as Jamaicans would say, and comes out through the other. There we go. Right? So the single biggest enemy of memory is poor attention to our surrounding. Right? Your surrounding affects your memory. It affects what you hear. It affects what you remember. And, and place is very important. Just say that to me. Place is very important. You know why? Do you know that God made place before he made people? God made place, and the place was perfect for people to exist in it. And then he made people and put them in the place. It is very important that you are in the right place. And in the right environment, or else you will not hear. It is important that your heart is at the right place. Or else you won't remember half. If your heart is filled with clutter and garbage and junk and envy and jealousy and all of those things, you will not be able to remember things. In the same way a, a child doesn't learn in a dirty classroom, a, a classroom that is filled with chaos. If our hearts are dirty, our hearts are messed up, we will not be able to listen and we will not be able to remember perfectly. So one of the ways to increase remembering what we have heard is to talk about it. So when we leave church, we ought to sit down and talk about what was said, what was done at church. Uh, and that is why I like the good old time churches because in those days, I mean, when I used to go to church as a little boy, listen, in those days, like, there was one car in some communities, alright? Or one car in, in families, alright? And, and in Jamaica, well, we had bicycles. You had the ones that the ladies would ride, they call them ladies' wheel. So if your grandmother had that, you had to walk to church. Because the ladies will don't have a, like a bar at the top for you to sit on. Right? Or she, if she was a good, she was a younger grandmother, she could put you on the handle. And that's how you'd go to church. Alright? Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Alright? You'll get a vision of it in Jesus' name. Alright? If, if you had a grandfather or a father who goes to church, then you'd have a bicycle that has a bar. And so you'd sit on it. But churches were, it's a few churches, not not now, like every corner you turn and you get to church. So when you were going to church, there was a quite a distance to get to church and to get back home. So on the way home, people talk about what happened in church. Nowadays, what happened, we come to church, the father goes in one car, the mother goes in one car, the child goes in one car, they get home, they're going to separate rooms, they text each other that it is dinner time, they sit at the table and they go back to their room. So we don't talk about it so we can't remember it. Christians who drift away do so because they fail to remember what God has taught.
taught them. So we should give persistent attention to the truth. But we should listen and remember the truth as well. The next verse, verse 22, gives us the reason. The verse begins with the word for. It says, for they bring life to those who find them. The reason for listening and remembering the truth is because there is a reward. It's not wasted time to listen to and remember the truth. There is a genuinely enjoyable, invigorated life. If we listen to God's truth, we remember God's truth and we live out God's truth. Life is better when you live the truth of God. When you know the truth of God, you become intimate with it. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In fact, this word life in Proverbs is describing a quality of life. And nothing adds to the health of a person's body and the enjoyment of of life like continually holding before you before your mind and putting into practice the truths of God's word life is better when you practice the bible i'm i'm telling you i mean the simplest life is the bible life like 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 half the things that don't affect me is because i read the bible like like i've only gotten drunk once in my life right and you would not believe it I just tasted alcohol and I got drunk. And then a couple of weeks after that, I heard that my body is a temple. And I said, well, obviously, temple and alcohol don't go together. And I don't tell people not to drink alcohol. But there are certain temples that have different rules. My temple have a no alcohol rule. Maybe your temple have an alcohol rule. And that's fine. That, that's, that's cool. Right? That, listen, I'm, I'm telling you, it's cool. It's cool if you have an alcohol rule for your temple. But my temple gets drunk and shaky when alcohol gets on the inside of it. So, because I don't drink alcohol, I don't get drunk, but I also save a lot of money because I don't have to buy it. I'm, 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 I'm telling you, this is the good life. Listen, listen, here's the next good one. Listen, listen, listen. listen. I, I realize as well from the Bible that the best time to have kids is after marriage. And, and I did that. And guess what? I don't have baby mama drama. I'm, I'm telling you, like the Bible is so real and practical. Like, I just, I, just, I just do what the Bible says, and everything is all right. The, the Bible says forgive. I just, I, just, I just forgive people. So I don't carry people in my heart. If my heart is the size of a fist, and you weigh 250 pounds, how is that going to work? It's not logical or practical. So, I'm very simple. I cannot manage you on my heart. You are overweight. So you gonna stay out there and stay away from my little fist. I, I, I just do the Bible and it makes life so simple. 
Amen? When I come to church, I don't dress to impress. I wear what I have. Because God don't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. So if my heart is right, then my attire will be right. Because if my attire is wrong, it is because my heart is off. Because my heart determines what I wear. Hey, you know what? There was a time when I had all different kind of colors in my hair. And I had piercings. Yes, I had. I used to wear my earring and stuff. And I went to church and, and somebody said to me that they wanted to deliver me from the earring God. And the color here, God. <laughs> right? They wanted to deliver me from the erring God. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's, it, they were off, right? But, but you know what I realized? Like, you know, you kind of felt embarrassed. Because you go to church, good, good church, that people supposed to love God. And they call you up front and say you need deliverance from the erring God. And, you know, I don't know is that entire armies around you casting out demons and stuff. And thinking you don't know what to do when you're young. And you're saying, boy, I have to pretend like something is going. Because if I don't do that, I'm going to stay here very long. Understand <laughs> me? The, the longer I delay, the longer I'm going. To, you know what I'm saying? The, the, so just, uh, yeah, yeah, it's gone now. Next week, I mean, here black again. Erring God and the spirit was deliverance. It was just a conviction of the Holy Spirit. No deliverance. I was, there was no erring God bothering me or anything. You understand me? I just, I just did it because I just felt like doing it. And I realized that there are some things that are not wrong to do, but they are not wise to do. And though what they were doing may, not have, been, may, may have been inappropriate, what I learned from that is that if I want to live the godly life, there are some right things that are not wise things. So there are some things I don't do, not because they are wrong to do, but I don't do them because they are not wise to do. That, that makes sense? Amen. Amen. Alright, so Proverbs 4 verse 18, it says this. But the, the way of the wicked is like total... Verse 18 first, it says... The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn which shines even brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they are stumbling over. So there are two parts that are pictured in this verse. For the, for the person that obeys the truth and continues to live for God, life is like starting out on a journey in the morning. As you continue to live for God, you see more and more truth. And it leads to greater enjoyment for life. For those who refuse to follow God and obey the truth, they walk in darkness. They live confused lives that lead them to harm and sadness. So there is a joy in living for the Lord. You may not have all the material things, but you have Jesus. And that is what is important. You see, I've pastored now for almost 13 years. And in that time, I have found dozens of Bibles left at church. I've found umbrellas. I've found... Um, raincoats, I've found hats, I've found car keys, I've found female purses, but the one thing I've never found in church is a man's wallet, right? Um, I've, never, I've never seen a man leave his wallet in church. He will leave his Bible, he will leave his umbrella, he will leave his toolkit, but his, well, right now probably his phone. But, but you know, 
that they never leave their wallet because inside your wallet have their credit cards, money, identification, and picture. And they know that a thief could do real harm if that is stolen. Therefore, men may leave their Bible at church, but they won't leave their wallet because they guard it. It's like cell phones now. I mean, some people guard their cell phones. They are married, and if their cell phone ring and they are in the next room and their spouse are on the phone, you send Bolt in, get in there before them, I'm telling you. That's a, that's a major sprint right there. Whoop! <laughs> Ooh, that's... My God, whoa, that was close. Oh, she almost answered it. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, 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 oh, where's my phone? I left it on the bed. Wrong place. I need to get my comb. Like, like crazy stuff. The guardian phones. I mean, there's a, when, when you get into the first part, I mean, they have all of these zigzag things that you get in. When you get in there to get into the contacts, you have to get into an zigzag thing. And then to get into the contacts to, to see the numbers, you have to get into an zigzag thing. And then all the names have some very different JPS, National Water Commission, Bank of Jamaica. There are no real names. There are no real names. There's no name, there's no name from the RGD. All the names are from the register of companies. You, you know what I'm talking about. It, it, it's not just men. Females do it too. So Don't feel bad, men. But that's the way we are to pay attention to the truth God gives us. So we listen to God's word. Remember God's word. We live out God's word. That's how we maintain godliness. How do we maintain consistent Christian life? Secondly, um, we protect our attitude. We have to protect our attitude. Uh, so Solomon goes on and tell, tells his son in verse 23, For they bring life to those who find them. Guard your heart, he says, above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. So Solomon tells his son that his most important duty is to guard his heart. A parent's job is to make clear the things that are important to a child. Study hard in school. Be careful who you pick for friends. But what have you taught your child or children as the single most important thing in life? Solomon tells his son that the most important thing is for his son to guard his heart. The most important lesson you need to teach, you need to learn, is that it's very simple. Guard your heart. In fact, in those days, the, the cities had walls and often they, they were surrounded, they surrounded the castle. And at the center of the castle would be what you call the citadel. The citadel is where they would store their food, their water, their weapons, and other necessities were stored there. In case the city was attacked or, or, or there was a siege on the city, they would have a place that all their, their, their basic needs are kept. Now, if the citadel was unprotected and the city fell, then guess what? They would die because they wouldn't have any food and all of that. So Solomon is telling his son, that if his heart falls, he will fall. But if he keeps his heart for God, he will continue to stand for God. You have to guard your heart. You have to guard the citadel. 
Because out of that place, your heart, flows the issues of life. The inner life, the heart of a person, affects everything about their life for good or evil, or good or ill. And that is why the most important, it is the most important concern. Above all else, I challenge you, get an education, get a good job, have a good marriage, have children, but guard your heart. Because if you don't do that, all of those things could be lost. Remember, this is Solomon, the wisest man. And Solomon had it all. And he got to the end of his life. And he said, this is all vanity. He realized that I missed the whole point of life. I had all of these things. He didn't tell his son to go get wealth or wisdom or knowledge. He said, guard your heart. Because if you have all of those things and your heart is unguarded, your life is still in trouble. The reason why. The heart, the inner person is so important is because it determines the quality of life you'll experience. For out of it flows the wellspring of life. So guard your heart. Guard your thoughts. Your desires. Your emotions. And the choices you make for or against God. Why do we do that? Because those things are going to spill out in the way you live. And they will determine whether your life is meaningful or miserable. I can tell you that if, if your heart is unguarded, your thoughts unguarded, your desires unguarded, your emotions unguarded, your choices unguarded, you're going to live a miserable life. If you make bad choices, life is going to be miserable. Bad desires, miserable life. Bad emotions, miserable life. Bad heart, miserable life. In other words, what happens Inside of you is more important than what happens outside of you. Come on, tell your neighbor. What happens inside of you is more important than what happens on the outside of you. You know, I know you, you did like me. You took some time this morning to look good on the outside. Possibly you all took a shower. Right? You probably used some lotion or some, I don't know, some deodorant and did some spray, you probably did a smell check on your clothes to make sure that they smell okay. You put them on. Alright, you're dressed up. You know, for the ladies, you may have used some makeup. Right? And really look good. You, you, you really look good on the outside. Do you know who the outside is for? Who looks at the outside? Man. Alright? How much time did you spend on the internal before you leave out for church? I guarantee you that most of us spend more time fixing the outside than we did fixing the inside. We fix the part that men look at. And we leave the part that God looks at. Isn't it amazing that daily we spend more time fixing what changing men look at than fixing what the unchangeable God is staring at. Do you know how a worm gets into an apple? If you see a hole in an apple, you know the worm has already exited the apple. An insect deposits an egg in the blossom. The fruit develops and the egg already with the egg already inside the apple. And it develops and it eats its way out. Simply put, you have to take care of the blossom. You see. I started doing some, you know, food security is very important. So I decided that I'm going to secure my own food. 
So I got like, like um, I transplanted like some cabbage, like three. You know, so I have three meals right there. You know, one this week when they grow and one next week and one. There's three. Food security is important, right? But, but a farmer told me like, listen, you have to get liquid soap and water and, and wash the cabbage. And I'm saying, yeah, yes, say, yes, you have to wash the cabbage to get off the worms because we don't wash it in this infancy. When it begins to fold up, the insects will be inside the cabbage. And the, and, the, and the eggs will become worms and the cabbage won't be good. So you can't wait until the worms come out. Have you, have you ever seen a mango with worm? Do you know that the worm don't go inside the mango? They come outside the mango? Because the worm gets into the blossom. The blossom turns a mango and the egg grows with the mango and move from, as, as, the, as the mango is moving from seed to a mango, the worm is moving from egg to a worm. What we need to do is to get the soap of God's word and the Holy Spirit and mix them together and wash off the eggs of our hearts so we don't have them growing to worms. Because if worms start coming out, you're going to throw away the mango. Amen? We can't allow sin to lodge into our emotions, our thoughts, our desires. They, right? And that, because we will fall away and fail to grow. Because we will not be um, acting in diligence to guard our inner life. So how do we protect our attitude, our inner man? First, by guarding our speech. God or a speech. Bruce Barton said this. He said, For good or ill, your conversation is your advertisement. Every time you open your mouth, you let me look into your mind. Every time you speak to me, you're telling me how your heart is. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Because... For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Every time you talk to me, I know your heart. It's good to ask people questions. You want to know people? Ladies, if you want to know if the guy is the right guy, ask him questions. And, and you need to ask, like, like, you have, you don't know this, right? Moses got 10 commandments, they say up on the hill. And there are 365 days. Before you commit to anything, you need to ask 3,650 questions. That's a good way to know people's heart. 10 questions a day. Keep the devil away. Oh, jeez. Oh, all right. Oh, words reveal. Uh, hey, listen, don't, no, that, 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 don't, don't do that, right? You'll never get married possibly if you do that. So don't <laughs> talk to your pastor. He will give you better advice. Our oh, words reveal our habits of thought. If we have a, ha- a, a habit of vulgar thinking, our words will reveal that. If we habitually think ill of people, our words will reveal that. If we habitually think the best of people, our words will show. Our words reveal whether we consistently guard our thought life or not. Our words make a huge impact on the quality of life we enjoy. The power of life and death is in the tongue. 
How do we protect? How do I protect my attitude, my inner man? Secondly, by guarding my eyes. We guard our speech, we guard our eyes. That refers to our goals in life. In fact, the scripture uses the word gaze in the New King James Version, which literally means eyelid. The metaphor we use is unblinking. What it means is a focused look. What are you looking at unblinking? It is the path that is laid out before you. So God has a path he wants you to walk. You come to a decision. There are two paths to take. God wants you to keep focus on the path he has for you. Because our goal in life is to live the way he wants us to live. Each day we choose to follow God's way in our behavior, in our thoughts, and our ambition. With eyes wide open, when you come to these points, you ask the Lord, how will this affect my relationship with you? Because the most important goal in life is to become like Christ. See, the greatest goal in life is not a comfortable retirement. It's not to have a healthy body. It's not high-achieving kids. It's not even a good marriage. Although in and of themselves, all these things have their benefit. The highest goal in life is to guard against anything that would distract you from becoming more like Christ. How do I protect my heart? I guard my speech. I guard my eyes. And I also guard my feet. I have a plan. I have their plan of action. But I think that we don't need a plan of action. We need a plan with some action. Because some of us, we have been planning, planning, planning. And we haven't done anything about the plans that we have made. So Solomon is telling his son that the succession of steps by which vision is turned into action demands practical planning. Come on, tell the neighbor, say to them, it's time for you to do something about the plans. Have you heard people say, I've been planning to read my Bible this year? Read it. I've, I've, been planning, I've been planning to read a couple books this year. Read them. Do something about the planning. So Solomon says to his son, number one, remove obstacles to your journey by making the path level so you don't stumble. He says remove the obstacles. Anything that will stop you from getting close to God, begin removing them. Then he says, the second thing you need to do is to stay out of areas that will bog you down. There are some places and things that if you get involved with them, they are going to mess you up. Stay away from those things. Then he says, know where you are going so you don't get detoured into things that waste your time and your energy. To do that, you need a plan with action. People don't plan to fail. They just fail to plan. So one of the biggest benefits that a plan does is to improve decision making. So I'm going to help you this morning as we close. Brother Desan is going to come. I'm going to show you something. I'm not so good in calculations. I know that one plus one equals four. So I'm going to have him come and help me right now because I'm not really good at math, right? Amen? That's right, right? One plus one? Amen. How many of you have a plan to read your Bible? This is like perfect for me. It's a kiddie's version, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> talking, talking about. This is the best we could find. I mean, I mean, don't beat us, right? We, we really tried getting a, a proper easel with, with flip charts and stuff, but it was very, very tough. Um, all right, that's Brother Desmond, right, sir? 
All right, so how many of you have a Bible reading plan? One, two, three. All right, how many of you read your Bible? All right, okay, cool. All right, that's good. How many of you have a daily prayer plan? All right, awesome, awesome. All right, how many of you have a plan to get to church on Sundays on time? All right, I don't want you to have a plan anymore. I want you to get to church on time. <laughs> All right. Now, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And if you do this, you can read 20 average size books in a year. Do you believe that's possible? I'm going to help us. Remember, we had a Bible reading plan. I'm going to give you a book reading plan to help you. So here's the calculation. All right? Suppose you read 250 words a minute. And you resolve to devote just 15 minutes a day to serious reading, deepening your understanding of the Christian faith. So 250, 250, right? 15 minutes a day, all right? In one year, you will have spent 5,475 minutes reading. That makes sense? That's 15 times 365, right? Amen? Anybody checking? You need to check to make sure. You have a calculator on your phone? Check it to make sure, right? Alright. So, 5,475 minutes reading. So, if you multiply that time by the 250 words per minute, you'll get 1.3 million, 1,368,750 million words a year. In 15 minutes. Wow! I mean, that's so much words like a Boy sat in the chair yesterday. <laughs> oh, that's cool, right? <laughs> now, most books on average are around 300 to 400 pages. So most books have around 350 word, words, words are pages. Let, let's, let's do that, right? Pages. Words per page. Words per page. 350 words per page. When you add your ah, uh, your Z, and your, your big word like highfalutin and those things. You understand me? Right? Alright. So here we go. So if you divide that into 1,368,750 words and you have 3,910 pages. Right? Amen? 3,910 pages. No. 300. This means that Reading at 250 words a minute for 15 minutes a day, you could read 20 average-sized books in a year. How many persons think they could do that? Just 15 minutes a day. All right. The other question is, how many persons are going to do that? <laughs> how many persons are willing to try? Amen. It's not impossible. So as we close, thank you. Thank you so much. Desan. I like how he did it this time. In the first service, it took us probably 30 minutes to get the calculations right. So he made sure he did it on his calculator and just write it down this time. That's a smart one right there. <laughs> Amen. But godliness is maintained by persistent attention and protection of our attitude towards the truth. Now, I know you don't know this, but um, as we close, you know, nuclear submarines, consists of some of the most amazing technology on the planet. 
And these incredible military vessels can stay underwater for 90 days. But every 90 days, the submarine must resurface to maintain proper alignment, they say, with the North Star. While underwater, the submarine's navigational system is affected by the Earth's magnetic forces. Because the submarines carry missiles of mass destruction, they must pay close attention to keeping the navigational equipment aligned to the true, the, the true reference point of the North Star. We are like that submarine in that we cannot perform at our highest level or complete our mission without maintaining proper alignment with our God. Our heart is the navigational equipment that keeps us on track with God. So we must guard our hearts for it is the wellspring of life. Amen? Listen, I want you to bow your heads with me. This morning, all heads bowed and eyes closed. Don't know if you know this golfer, they call him Jack Nichols, Nicholas. Um, he's considered by most the greatest golfer who has ever played the game. And once when he was at the top of his game, he quit playing for 30 days to correct something with his game. He couldn't correct it. He tried, but to no success. Then he went back to his coach that taught him golf, and his game straightened out. He went on to win more major tournaments than any other golfer in history. What is repentance? It is going back to the Lord and the cross. It is telling him you are absolutely dependent on him to change you and to be forgiven by him. When the prodigal son came back home, he didn't just get a ring, a robe, and shoes. The greatest thing he got back was his father. The Lord himself is waiting for anyone today that is willing to repent and put him first. And that's when you will experience real life. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just pray with me. Say, Holy Spirit... Reveal to me my heart. What have my words exposed about my heart? What are my real goals in life? Give me a plan, Lord, to finish my journey and complete the course you have set out for me. Do not let me traffic in unlived truth. Savior, may the lost come to know you. Give them the courage to step out and request you to be their God. Compel them. Convict them. Convert them to you in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I pray for those who are burdened at the heart level. You said, come unto me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and you will give us rest for our souls. For those who are broken hearted, I thank you that you can mend every broken heart. 
For those whose hearts are filled with a lot of clutter, Lord, I pray that you'll come and remove the clutter. Cause us by your Holy Spirit to pay attention, persistent attention to your truth. Let us have ears to listen to the voice of your Holy Spirit. Give us sharp memory to remember the things that you have taught us so we can live them out in our lives. Spirit of the living God, we ask in the name of Jesus to cause us to protect our attitude. And by that, Lord God, that we will guard our speech, we will guard our eyes, and we will guard our feet. We repent, Lord God, for leaving our hearts and garden. We realize that we have allowed some things in. Remove the worms this morning. Remove the eggs this morning. And give us clean heart and fresh hearts. Like the prodigal son, we come to our senses. And we say this morning, we'll be better off in your house. We return to you with whole hearts this morning. And we commit to God in our hearts with all diligence. For out of it springs the issues of life. We thank you. And God, we bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. Come on, just put your hands together for the Lord. Come on, give him a big hand clap. This sound that says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Come on, just stand to your feet as we go this morning. Again,